Open your Bibles with me to Zechariah chapter 2. We're flying through the book of Zechariah now. Zechariah chapter 2. Now remember what the book of Zechariah is about. Um, the Babylonian captivity has ended. People have come back into the land. They had begun building the temple, but they had left off building the temple for several years. And so God called Haggai to prophesy and Zechariah to prophesy at the same time. And this book, it's about continuing in the Lord's work. Continuing in the Lord's work. Now, we beginning at the, in the second half of Zechariah chapter 1, we come to eight visions, eight different visions. We saw the first two visions last week, or week before last. And now we are in the next vision. So Zechariah chapter 2 and verse 1. We're going to, leave the whole, we're going to read this whole chapter. I lifted up mine eyes again and looked, and behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. Now, we would think of a measuring tape. They would use a line that would be a specific distance, and it would let them know how long it was. Then said I, Whither goest thou? And he said unto me, To measure Jerusalem, to see what is the breadth thereof, and what is the length thereof. And behold, the angel that talked with me went forth, and another angel went out to meet him. So we have two different angels. You have the angel of the Lord and the angel that's speaking with Zechariah. And he said unto him, Run, speak to this young man, saying, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as towns without walls for the multitude of men and cattle therein. For I, saith the Lord, will be unto her a wall of fire round about and will be the glory in the midst of her. Ho, ho. Notice there's not a third ho there. Ho, ho, come forth and flee from the land of the north, saith the Lord, for I have spread you abroad as the four winds of the heaven, saith the Lord. Deliver thyself, O Zion, that dwellest with the daughter of Babylon. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, After the glory hath he sent me unto the nations, which spoiled you, for he that toucheth you toucheth the apple of his eye. For behold... I will shake mine hand upon them, and they shall be a spoil to their servants, and ye shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for lo, I come, and I will, and I will dwell in the midst of thee, saith the Lord. And many nations shall be joined to the Lord in that day, and shall be my people. And I will dwell in the midst of thee, and thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts hath sent me unto thee. And the Lord shall inherit Judah, his portion in the Holy Land, and shall choose Jerusalem again. Be silent, O all flesh, before the Lord, for he is raised up out of his holy habitation. I can't wait to get to verse 13, but we've got to get through the, verse, the first 12 verses of that chapter. And there's some pretty interesting stuff. Let's go to the Lord and ask him to help us. Lord, will you help us as we study your word? Lord, speak to our hearts. Help this not to just be a time of instruction and learning, but Lord, I pray that you'll mold us, that you'll uh, challenge us, that you'll convict us through your word, and that you will make us people of your book. Help us to love it, and help us to love you who gave it to us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, what we're going to see first of all is an announcement. An announcement. When we start reading in verse uh, th two or verse 3, it says, And behold, the angel that talked with me went forth, and another angel went out to meet me, 
or meet him and said unto him, run, speak to this young man. So what's going on? We begin with an announcement. And the announcement is this. The announcement is that God's going to rebuild Jerusalem. It's a pretty interesting thing. When you see what's going on with Jerusalem now, and you see what God has planned for Jerusalem later, this becomes a really interesting text because we have an immediate fulfillment because God is rebuilding Jerusalem in that time. He's going to be calling people from the nations where they had been scattered to come back to Jerusalem. But do you realize that God has already begun doing that again? He's calling people from all over the world. We talked this morning about how in 1991, Ethiopian Jews were lifted up because they're being massacred there and taken to Jerusalem. You have the, the, the Russian Jews that were forced out. You have Spanish Jews that have been forced out through the pogroms. Eastern Europe, we have South American Jews that are going back to the Holy Land. It's an interesting thing. Let me show you something that's fun. Look at Zechariah chapter 2 and verse 12. And the Lord shall inherit Judah... His portion in the what? Holy Land and shall choose Jerusalem again. The reason we call it the Holy Land, have you ever wondered why it's called the Holy Land? Because of Zechariah 2.12. This is the only place that phrase or those two words appear this way in the Bible. So that Holy Land, it comes from the, and the context of the Holy Land is Jesus is going to build Jerusalem again. That Holy Land is important in God's in God's plan. Of course, now how many of you have been there? How many of you have seen Jerusalem? Would you raise your hand? Dr. Ree, who else? Oh, back there. Rick? Rick's seen it. Someone else? What else? How many of you think we need to take a trip to the Holy Land? I think we ought to do that. It is unbelievable. So I'm picturing Jerusalem and the city walls and the Temple Mount and all of those. Mount, uh, Mount of Olives. I stood on the Mount of Olives and looked over into Jerusalem. And I walked down that valley where Jesus walked. And you could see Mount Zion over on the other side. Picturing it in your mind, you have a better understanding of what the text is talking about. And do you know what it's talking about? That Jerusalem. It's still there. And it will be until Jesus Christ returns and restores it, even though there's going to be a great battle. We'll see all of that. It's coming in the book of Zechariah. All right, so it's an announcement. He is going to build Jerusalem again. But look at verse 4, a couple of things that are interesting. And said unto him, Run, speak to this young man. Why does he tell him to run? Why is it important to run? Now, everybody have your Bibles in your laps, and let's, let's start running some verses so we can see what's important about this. Why is he telling him to run? Because it's good news. It's really good news. Look at uh, Isaiah chapter 49. Look at verse 19. Might as well go to verse 18. Isaiah 49, 18. Lift up thine eyes round about and behold. All these gather themselves together and come to thee. As I live, saith the Lord, thou shalt surely clothe thee with them all as with an ornament and bind them on thee as a bride doeth. Now look at verse 19. For thy waste and thy desolate places and the land of thy destruction shall even now be too narrow by reason of the inhabitants and they that swallowed thee up shall be far away. The children which thou shalt have, after thou hast lost the other, shall say again in thine ears, The place is too straight for me. Give, give place to me that I may dwell. So what's going to happen 
is when God returns, when the Lord returns, and we'll see the context of that in a minute, when the Lord returns and establishes Jerusalem again, the walls, there aren't going to be any. It's going to be so big, they're going to have so many children, it's going to grow so much that the current size of Jerusalem won't be enough to contain it. That's the good news. That's the good news. Uh, Tonight, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the original Jerusalem, we're going to look at the millennial Jerusalem, and we'll look at the new Jerusalem. So that as we're reading these verses in the Bible, we can understand what's God talking about here. Which Jerusalem is being spoken of? So we're going to try and clearly identify those for you this evening. But right now, let's keep going. So go back to Zechariah chapter 2. So he tells this angel to run. I love it. Jesus Christ tells an angel to run. And do you know what that angel does? He runs. (laughs) He runs. Why? Because he's a ministering spirit. In our Sunday school class, we saw that in Hebrews chapter 1. It's very clear that God sent those angels as ministering spirits to Jesus Christ. Now, here's the cool part. Here's the cool part. If we want to have obedient children, we'll teach them to obey the way that the angels would obey Jesus Christ immediately. Immediately. Amen? We teach our children to obey immediately. You young people, how many of you want to obey immediately? None of you? Okay, I've just changed my message. Turn with me. No. All right. Now, the other thing that I want you to see this, look at what it says. Verse 4 again. And he said unto him, Run, speak to this young man. Speak to this young man. What young man? Zechariah. Zechariah was a young man. And you know what's awesome about this? God loves to use young people. God loves to use young people. I love seeing these young people up at the front. I love it because I can keep them awake. It's great. I love seeing these young people in the room because here's the deal. You don't have to wait until you're old for God to use you. But that's important. Uh, I, James Knox in his commentary has a list of, oh, about 12 or 15 references to a young man in the Bible and the different characteristics of a young man. There can be a joyful young man. There can be an angry young man. There can be all these different things. And God cares about how young men behave. God cares about that. And here he says, run and tell the young man this message. And he gets to make this proclamation that God's going to rebuild Jerusalem. Do you know what your message is, young men? Jesus Christ is coming back. You need to get saved. Jesus Christ is coming back. You need to tell all your friends. You need to think about that. When you're deciding to get in the car and drive too fast and fool around and make a fool of yourself, you remember Jesus Christ is coming back soon. He has a mission and a message for you. Uh, now, I want you young people, all you young people, stand up and turn around at the crowd. Okay? Stand up and turn around look at the crowd. How many of you adults, how many of you adults, and show by sign of hands, how many of you adults wish when you were young several times that you had focused more on the return of Christ. Would you raise your hand? See this? Young people, they could tell you it will save you a lot of grief in life if you'll keep yourselves focused on the right thing. Young man, tell the world that Jesus Christ is coming back soon. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Derek passed out up here. Now, 
Look at verse 4. And said unto them, Run, speak to this young man, saying, Jerusalem shall be inhabited. Now look at how it's going to be inhabited. As towns without walls. As towns without walls. We're not going to run a lot of verses on this, but just look with me at Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 25. This is usually a negative statement in Scripture. Proverbs 25, verse 28. My mother uh, wrote this verse on a 3 by 5 card and put it on the mirror where I would get, my brother and I would get ready in the morning because she didn't like it that we had tempers and sometimes our tempers would flare. So she had us memorize verses like this whether we wanted to or not. Um, look at verse 28. He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. All right, so if you're not in control of your temperament, then you have no defenses in this world. Because how many of you understand that this world will give you things to get mad at? Hard to watch the news sometimes, isn't it? You know, you go to the mall and you want to slap some kid in the head and say, pull your pants up. <laughs> Amen? Um, lots of, don't do that. You'll get arrested, okay? I'm not telling you to go slap kids at the mall. <laughs> so when you see this, this broken down, this city that's broken down, you young people, if you come to church with your pants down, somebody will slap you in the head. I promise you that. Um, that'd be an advertisement, wouldn't it? Come to Grace Baptist Church where your kids can get slapped in the head. All right, so... When we see this city that is broken down, that's almost always negative. A city without walls. Uh, we won't turn there, but Esther chapter 9, verses 18 and 19. The Bible's talking about how those that lived in Shushan celebrated. And then those who lived in the towns without walls started celebrating the next day. Because those in the palace had the protection of the walls. Those without the palace didn't. What's the difference? The protection of the city walls. Well, there's no... Here in Jerusalem, go back to Zechariah. This Jerusalem that Jesus Christ is going to build, it says in the middle of verse 4, as towns without walls. Why is that a good thing here? It's negative everywhere else. Why is it good here? Let's keep reading. As towns without walls, for the multitude of men and cattle therein, for I, saith the Lord, will be unto her a wall of fire round about. Now, here's why. You don't need a city wall when God is surrounding the city. What better protection is there? You know, now city walls aren't really that big of a deal for a military. You know, I think it was Genghis Khan that started... Uh, germ warfare by catapulting bodies with the plague over the walls into the cities of the people that he was trying to capture. Imagine that. Take a dead body and here, take this. Yeah, nastiness. God doesn't care about walls. He doesn't need those walls. Today's military, if there was a wall, what do you do? You just blast it away or you send a missile over it. Our cities don't have walls anymore because they're not really that big of a deal. It doesn't help you much, but what if that wall is a wall of fire and that wall of fire is God 
himself. How many of you think that's going to be a place of safety? Look, look with me. This is kind of fun. Look at, look at 2 Kings chapter 7. 2 Kings chapter 7. I love this story. I think some of you know right away where I'm going. So now the king believes that he has a spy because he can't do anything without Israel knowing about it. And so one of his servants says, you don't have a spy. There's that prophet Elisha. And what you do in your chamber, he tells Israel about it because he was a prophet of God. So he sends this whole army to surround Elisha to kill him, to capture him, kill him, get him out of the way. I think that this would still be true. Imagine what would happen in our nation if we had godly men in the ear of our president. Interesting, huh? Interesting. Look at this. Look at verse uh, 16. Um, it's 6. I'm sorry. I said, I said chapter 7, I think. It's Second Kings chapter 6. Verse 17. Verse 16. And he answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. Okay? So remember, here's Elisha and his servant... They're surrounded by the Assyrian army. They're surrounded. And man of God looks over and says, don't worry, we've got them surrounded. Can you just picture the servant? Looking around, what are you talking about? Can't you picture this? Look at But look at what it says. Verse 17, And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. Elisha wasn't scared in the least because the army of God was surrounding him. Isn't that wonderful? When we look out in this world and you see everything, it looks like everything's going bad. You watch the news and whether it's gay marriage or whatever it is that's going on, it looks like this world is completely falling apart. You have the, these, the Palestinian leader that's in, uh, in the, the UN is saying that we needed to be bombed in Boston. We deserve it. You hear these kinds of things going on and you're saying, Lord, what in the world is going on in the world? It's all upside down. As a Christian, what am I supposed to do? You're supposed to remember, we've got them surrounded. Amen. Amen. How many believe that the Lord is with you? You believe the Lord's with you? Look with me in, uh, keep, keep uh, Zechariah, of course, but go to Revelation chapter 2. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus, write. See that? Verse 1. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Jesus Christ, speaking to the church at Ephesus, he is giving a message to the angel of that church. So what's he talking about? Look at chapter 1 and verse 20. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, in Jesus Christ's right hand. And the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. 
And the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. So what Jesus Christ is saying is that each church has an angel. Now, it's not a little precious moments figurine. Right? Chubby little thing. Right? It's an, flaming, it's an angel of flaming fire for Grace Baptist Church. That's, I know your footnote might say pastor. Well, look, I know a bunch of pastors and none of them are angels. Okay? The Bible says angel. I just think it means angel. Is that right? And so these angels are there to protect us. We have to remember, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, and the rulers of darkness in high places. Do you all believe that? Do you remember what happened when God prayed, or Daniel prayed and said, Lord, send us a word, and he sent his angel Gabriel, and he said, well, I had to stop because I had a fight on the way. The prince of, was it the prince of Persia? Is that who was fighting him, this angel? was fighting the messenger of God. That's going on all around us. I know if you're not from Grace Baptist Church, you might be thinking here, sitting there thinking, this place is weird, man. Yes, <laughs> we are, but I'm, so is the Bible. The Bible just says this. Is that right? We need to understand that when God establishes Jerusalem on this earth again, when He comes to rule and reign, there won't need to be city walls because He will surround it with Himself. What does that sound like? What did God do when He led the children of Israel out of Egypt? Pillar of fire by day, pillar of cloud by night. He, that was the presence of God, and that presence of God guided them and protected them from their enemies. They're not going to need to wander anymore because they'll be in the land, in the city that God has given them. What an awesome thing. No walls. No walls. Uh, do you know what our prayer needs to be? Lord, open my eyes. Help me to see what you're doing here. Help me to know what's going on. Do you know what our problem is? We are so in love with the culture that we're not able to discern the culture. Right? We become so in love with the world that we're not able to recognize the darkness of the world. God's going to deal with that in a minute. We need to pray that God will give us spiritual eyes, that we can see, open our eyes, that we can see what God is doing in the world. I'm not talking about giving God giving you dreams and visions. God's given us His revelation in the Word of God. And through that revelation in the Word of God, in the Word of God, we can discern the world around us, but we need God to help us to see those things spiritually. All right? So let's go on. Go back to Zechariah chapter 2. Verse 4 again, And he said unto him, Run, speak to this young man, saying, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as towns without walls for the multitude of men and cattle therein. This multitude of men and cattle therein, that's referring to its fullness. If you're writing down cross-references, we're not going to turn to it, but Isaiah 54, 2 and 3, and Jeremiah 31, 27, it talks about what God is going to do. with. He's going to actually seed the land with the seed of men and the seed of beasts. God is Himself going to multiply the people and the animals in that area. Now, all you men, wake up for a minute. I want you to look at me. 
that means there's going to be steak. <laughs> Amen? The kingdom's going to be awesome. All right, now, so any of you vegetarians? <laughs> Too bad. Um, look at verse 5. For I, saith the Lord, will be unto her a wall of fire round about, and will be the glory in the midst of her. And I will be the glory in the midst of her. Um, now, how many of you think that's pretty cool? Seriously. That the glory of God is going to be there. That's an amazing thing. We won't need the Son because Jesus Christ, the Son, will be there. It, it, this is an amazing thing. Um, we may talk about this some more later. But I want you to think... Well, first of all, if you were just able to read that, where it says, the glory of the Lord in the midst of her, God says, for I, saith the Lord, will be unto her a wall of fire round about, and will be the glory in the midst of her. If you as a Christian could read that and not care... Now, I understand you can be tired and distracted. I understand that that kind of thing happens. That's not what I'm talking about. But if you're paying attention and you don't care that the Lord and His glory is going to be in the midst of Jerusalem, you're going to be able to see it, you might want to inquire of the Lord as to your spiritual condition. You know, I, I think about um, the Spicers back there. Uh, I know that when uh, Caleb's gone back to Fort Bragg, Fort Bragg, right? When he was in Afghanistan, you couldn't wait to see him, right? When you love somebody, you want to be near them. You, you care about them. When we read these things about the Lord, that ought to create a yearning in us to see the Lord. Amen. Uh, Lord, what's it going to be like when your glory's in the midst of Jerusalem? What's that going to look like? What's that going to be like? And meditate on that and pray about it. And here's how I know we're too entangled with the world. I, I guarantee you, as we were talking about that, somebody was thinking about fishing or playing golf. And if there is anything second to that, it is golf. But that we do. We are so wrapped up in the world, and you know the teenagers are all thinking about lunch. <laughs> but we need to allow the Holy Spirit to direct our hearts and our desires and our yearnings to the Lord of glory. Is there anybody here that would say, I needed that reminder today? Would you raise your hand? <laughs> Me too. We get so distracted. Remember what the Bible says? No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who's called him to be a soldier. And I think that we do become so entangled with the, care, with the cares, with the affairs of this life, that we miss the glory. We miss the glory. Then, um, look at verse 6. Ho, ho, come forth and flee from the land of the north, saith the Lord, for I have spread you abroad, saith, for I have spread you abroad, 
as the four winds of the heaven, saith the Lord. Now I want you to notice something in this verse. First he says, come forth, come forth. Imagine what God has done. God has delivered them from Babylon. God, by two different decrees from two different kings, has allowed them to go back and rebuild the temple and rebuild the city walls and come back. And yet many, most of the Jews didn't come back. That's why Zechariah, that's why God's having Zechariah prophesy to them, come back, come out of the, the lands of the north, Chaldea, come out of the surrounding areas, come back into Jerusalem. Come back, come back. We're going to talk about that in a minute. So you might want to mark that where it says, come forth. Then look what it says, and flee from the land of the north, saith the Lord. Flee from the land of the north, saith the Lord. Then look at what it says, for I have spread you abroad. Who spread the Jews all over the place? God did it. God did it. You know, that this diaspora, after A.D. 70, when the Jews have been scattered to the four corners of the earth, they've been scattered like the four winds of the earth. Let me say this. We, remember we talked about the, the four horns? In Zechariah chapter 1, you see that number 4, and it describes something as 4. That's having to do with the earth. Maybe we'll take the time and run those references for you sometime. But the, almost every time you see 4, it has something to do with the earth, the four corners of the earth, the four winds of the earth. God's going to send the four winds of heaven to come down and destroy the, the, the earth. It's an interesting thing that God does that with that number 4. But God's going to scatter them all over the earth, and then He's going to bring them back from all over the earth. It's God that has to do that. All right? So now, Zechariah chapter 4. He had scattered them to the four winds of heaven in verse 6. He had done that. But go with me to Matthew chapter 24 and verse 31. You see? I have spread you abroad as the four winds of heaven, saith the Lord. That's Zechariah 2.6. Look at Matthew 24, 31. Uh, look at verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days. So when is this going to happen? After the tribulation. Right, you know there's a lot of people who don't believe in the tribulation period? I can help them. Because Jesus said after the tribulation of those days, all right, immediately after the tribulation of those days, shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from the heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. That's those, that's those false angels surrounding us. Those powers of the heaven will be shaken. Then, and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together His elect from where? The four winds from one end of heaven to the other. What happened? God has scattered Israel 
his elect all over the four winds as the four winds. They're scattered all over the globe. When Jesus Christ returns, he's going to get his angels to gather him back together to Israel. How awesome is that? God, he says, I've done it and I'll bring them back. When's he going to do that? You ready for this? This is pretty cool. Go to Isaiah chapter 11. So we know that he's gathering them back into Israel after the captivity. That's Zechariah chapter 2. That's the immediate fulfillment. The immediate historical fulfillment of that text. What's the ultimate fulfillment? Isaiah chapter 11. And verse 11. And it shall come to pass in that day. So, when you see that day, what's the context? Millennium, right? And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set His hand... What's that next word? Again, the second time to recover the remnant of His people, which shall be left from Assyria and from Egypt and from Pathros and from Cush and from Elam and from Shinar and from Hamath and from the islands of the sea. And he shall set up an ensign for the nations and shall assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together the dispersed from Judah and from the four corners of the earth. God's going to do that. When? He's going to gather them again the second time. The second time. Go back to Zechariah chapter 2 and see if we get when that's going to happen. Zechariah chapter 2. Look at verse 7. Deliver thyself, O Zion, that dwellest with the daughter of Babylon. So we have an announcement that God is going to uh, rebuild Jerusalem. But we also have an appeal. Verses 6 through like verse 9 is an appeal to those in the surrounding area, those Jews that have been scattered. Come back to Jerusalem. Come back. It's an appeal. Look verse 7, though. Deliver thyself, O Zion. Isn't that interesting? Would you mark that? Deliver thyself? Look at verse 6. Oh, come forth and flee. Deliver thyself. Come forth. And flee. This is such a great verse to undermine the Calvinist teaching. Because the, the Bible, what God has done, God has made the way. God created Cyrus, a pagan king. The Bible says, I've called thee. I've called thee by name. I have anointed thee, though thou hast not known me. God raises up. Cyrus, he announces it, I think, 150 years before Cyrus is born. And he uses this pagan king to bring, allow his people to go back. What God did, God made the path. But the children of Israel had to walk it. Is that right? And that's always God's plan. That's always God's plan. God has made the way of salvation, hasn't he? Jesus Christ said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. The Bible says, as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, so shall the Son of Man be lifted up. 
And if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. Was Jesus Christ lifted up on the cross? And then what has He done? He's drawn the whole world to Him. He tasted death for every man. It's not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared from heaven unto all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live righteously, soberly, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Christ Jesus, who died that He might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto Himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. What God has done is He's revealed this to everybody. He's made the way for everybody. And He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. Jesus Christ has made the way. You have to walk it. But pastor, i got to walk a certain way to get saved? No. What I'm saying is, Jesus Christ made the way of salvation by grace through faith. The Bible says that God has given unto every man the measure of faith. God has given you the ability to believe in Him. He's given you the evidence of His existence in the creation. He's given you your conscience, and He's given you the light of Scriptures. He's given you the light of the Son of God in this world. He's given you the light of other believers in this world. He's given you everything you need. You just have to receive it. Amen? Deliver thyself. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's what the Bible says. So what God has done is He's made the way, but you have to take that way. When I was playing football, I was a running back. And if we were running, say, a 43 lead, I'm supposed to follow the fullback and the blocking through the line. Well, God says, look, I've made the way for you. How many times you get so frustrated with a running back, you're watching a play, and he just runs, bam, right into the line. It's like, what are you, stupid? Right? Go through the hole. Find the hole. What made, what made Barry Sanders so great? His vision. His vision. He could see the hole. What God has done for us is He has made a way of salvation a way of deliverance, and we try to go on our own. I'm going I'm to go through good works. I'm going to go through my baptism. I'm going to go through my church membership. That's not the way that God provided. The way that He provided was faith in Him. And what God has told these Jews is you can deliver yourself from the wrath of the enemy by coming back to Me. Why? Because He's going to be there. He's going to be the glory in the midst of them. He's going to be the protection of them round about. Come back. Deliver yourself. That's an interesting thing. Deliver thyself. Look at verse 7, O daughter of Zion, that dwellest with the daughter of Babylon. Now, man, we could connect that with Revelation 17, right? The, 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 this whore, the harlot that rides the beast and all of that. But we're not going to take the time to do that. Come out of Babylon, he tells them. Verse 8. Let me say this. God had taken them to Babylon for judgment. And over time, the people enjoyed it. They liked it. We're in this world. We are in a fallen world. And we get to where we like it. 
I think that if we were able in the rapture, I'll bet you there, were, there, there would be people, if they knew what was going on, who would grab onto this world and hang on to it because they love it so much. I don't want to leave my home. He's prepared a mansion for you. Well, I, I like mine. That's, that's where we are, right? That's what's going on. And the nation of Israel, these, these, most of them stayed in Babylon. They didn't want to come back. And God's calling them back. Deliver yourself. Run. Make haste. Then, when is this going to happen? Look at verse 8. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, After the glory hath he sent me unto the nations which spoiled you, for he that toucheth you toucheth the apple of his eye. After the glory. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 24. When's this going to happen? All the Jews have never gone back to the land. They will. Amen. Matthew chapter 24. We just read it. So here it says, After the glory hath he sent me unto the nations which spoiled you. Matthew chapter 24. Look at verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light. Verse 30. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. What's going to happen? And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and what? Great glory. And He's going to gather them. He's going to gather them together after the glory. Look at chapter 25. Matthew 25. Verse 31. When the Son of Man shall come in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then shall He sit upon the throne of His glory. Look at Zechariah chapter 12. Zechariah chapter 12. Verse 10. When is this going to happen? And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. We'll see him. The Lamb of God. I heard a preacher this week I was listening to on this text. And he said he likes it. He saw this bumper sticker, Beware the Lamb. <laughs> Is that awesome? Only a Christian would understand that. Because he's coming back as the Lamb that was slain, but he's coming back in his glory. When's this going to happen? After the glory. Zechariah chapter 2. Look at verse 8 again. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, After the glory hath he sent me unto the nations which spoiled you. For he that toucheth you, toucheth the apple of his eye. The apple of his eye. What's the apple of your eye? It's, the, it's your pupil. It's the gateway to the eye. And your eye, it's, it's protected. God has supernaturally designed you to protect your eye in such a special way. 
he gives you that reflex to where when something's coming. I had a kid when I was in, uh, I think I was in sixth grade, sixth or seventh grade. He had his hand full of shaving cream or something. And he walked up to me. He said, hey, y'all. I turned and he went like that. And all the stuff flew into my face. And it went into my eyes. So the coach sent me down to the nurse and the nurse looked at it. And I was, I was fine. Why? Because of that amazing reflexive protection that God gives the apple of your eye. That, that, that reflex against what's coming. He also gives you your eyelid. He gives you your eyelashes. He gives you your brow to keep things from running into it. And some of you Neanderthals, God's given you great protection. He gives you your eyebrows to stop dirt and sweat and grime from coming down into your eyes. That's all supernatural protection that God built into you to protect your eyes. It's a really cool thing. Not only that, but when it's real bright, He makes it closed tight to protect you. God designed every bit of that. What an amazing, wonderful God. And that's the way God describes the nation of Israel. Go with me to Deuteronomy. Let's look at the first place where God said that. Deuteronomy chapter 32. Just a couple of things and we'll be done. Deuteronomy chapter 32. This appeal. Come back to the land. Why? Because I love you. Deuteronomy 32. Look at verse 8. When the Most High divided to the nations their inheritance, when He separated the sons of Adam, He set the bounds of the people according to the number of the children of Israel. For the Lord's portion is His people. Jacob is the lot of His inheritance. He found him in a desert land and in the waste howling wilderness. He led him about. He instructed him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. That's what, that's what God thinks of Israel. I'll tell you what, when you read what's going on in the news, all of Europe hates Israel. Uh, many people in our press hate Israel. I think of that, uh, that reporter, the, the White House correspondent, Helen Thomas, when she was asked about, the, about Israel. He, they said, what do you think about Israel? He said, they need to go home. She said, they need to go home. The reporter said to her, where's home? Back to Poland. Back to Germany. Tell them to go home. You imagine that? Can you imagine? And that's the position of many people in America today. Genesis 12.3 is still true. I'll bless him that blesseth thee, and I will curse them that curseth thee. That's, they're still the apple of God's eye. Look with me at Lamentations chapter 2. It's Jeremiah, Lamentations, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Lamentations, chapter 2. Look at verse 18. So remember, Jeremiah prophesied that the destruction of, of Jerusalem was coming, that the captivity was coming. He was the weeping prophet. It was a sad thing to see. Lamentations, he's lamenting over this. And look at verse 18. This will give you a real picture of it. Their heart cried unto the Lord. Lamentations 2.18. Their heart cried unto the Lord, O wall of the daughter of Zion. Look at this. Let tears run down like a river day and night. Give thyself no rest. 
Let not the apple of thine eye cease. See, when they were being destroyed, they felt like Israel was going to go away. Like the Jews would be destroyed ultimately. But God has said, you're the apple of my eye. And they challenged God on that. Don't let the apple of your eye cease. Look with me at Psalm 17. Psalm 17. Look at verse 7. Show thy marvelous loving kindness, O thou that savest by thy right hand them which put their trust in thee from those that rise up against them. Keep me as the apple of the eye. Hide me under the shadow of thy wings. That apple of the eye, it's the, the, the supernatural protection of God in His love for His people. Now go with me to Proverbs chapter 7. Proverbs chapter 7. Look at verse 1. How many of you believe that God loves His people that much? You believe that? Now notice this, Proverbs chapter 7, verse 1. My son, keep my words and lay up my commandments with thee. Keep my commandments and live and my law as the apple of thine eye. Now, how, you believe, how many of you believe that God loves His people? <laughs> That's how we're supposed to love His Word. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to keep His Word. We're supposed to memorize His Word. We're supposed to love His Word. We're supposed to guard His Word. Remember what Paul wrote. He said, These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. We are the pillar. The church is the pillar and ground of the truth. We know that's what it's talking about because John 17, 17 says, Sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is truth. And we will do that if we keep this as the apple of his eye. One time, uh, Nick and Yvonne gave me a car washing kit for my car. And Nick on the note said, this is for your idol. Because <laughs> he knows that I love my car. It's interesting. So if I love my car, what am I going to do? I'm going to make sure it's washed. I'm going to keep the oil changed. I'm going to drive it really fast so there's no carbon buildup in the engine. <laughs> right? I'm going to take care of it. Um, I, I just saw, did Kim have the baby with her? You, you watch, watch Kim with that baby. You know, everybody wants to come up and grab the baby, and here's what mom does. Right? Isn't that right? Now, with Jacob, we said, here. <laughs> Love you, buddy. <laughs> now, what happens when you keep, when you, when you genuinely love something, when it's the apple of your eye? You keep it. You protect it. This morning I was watching the news and I, I saw this commercial. And it's this mother with a baby. 
And the mother starts by rubbing the baby's face. And then she's feeding the baby. And the baby's a little bit older and she, she, she moves his hair and just touches it. And then when he's a little bit older and all through, she's always messing with his hair and touching him. Then you can see the boy is gone now. And it's, she's looking at him. It's a Verizon commercial through the smartphone. And she's touching the phone because she loves this boy who's grown up and is gone. And it, it's, it's a really unique thing, the, the love of a mother for a child and that care because that child is the apple of her eye. When you look at the way a father looks at his little girl and the, the, the immediately... Immediately when a father sees that baby, the first thought for most men is, I'd kill anybody that touched this baby. It's weird. It's supposed to be a precious time and you're thinking about killing people. <laughs> how many of you guys, seriously, how many of you guys, that's the way that you felt, right? Now, we must understand that if Israel's the apple of God's eye, and this word is supposed to be the apple of our eye. Just as we expect God to keep Israel, and will He? We need to keep His words. We need to keep His commandments. God's word is a unit. It's all tied together. These truths are there to teach us things. As much as God loves Israel, He said, look, you've got to come back to me. You've got to come back to me. I've made the way for you. You've got to do it. You've got to step out. I, I've made the way. I've supernaturally preserved you as a people. I've supernaturally opened the path for you to come back here. I've given you protection. I promised you my presence, but you've got to take that step. God says to us, look, I sent my son to die on the cross for you. I ordered everything in history to bring my son at just the right time in the fullness of the time. God sent forth his son, born of a woman made under the law. God brought Jesus Christ at just the right moment, Galatians 4.4 4 tells us. And He made the way for us. We've got to take that way. Amen? Amen? And then He said this, If you love Me, keep My words. Matthew chapter 14. Jesus said this, If you love Me, keep My words. And how are we supposed to keep them? As the apple of the eye. Amen? So, what's our challenge today? Our challenge is pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Pray that the Lord will return soon and clean up this mess. Pray that God's people will open their eyes to Him. And then pray. Pray that the people that you know will come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. Through your witness, through your testimony. And then you and I, we need to keep this Word like the apple of our eye. Thank you, Lord, so much for your Word.